Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. One person, one vote lives on. Ohioans overwhelmingly vote to protect the Constitution. No progress reported in the Writers Guild strike. And today on the show, we're going to talk to the man who went from union electrician to the Maryland State House and the president of the Great Lakes District Council of Ironworkers. Welcome to the Wednesday, August 9th edition of America's Workforce, where We are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Corey McRae. Corey is a state senator in Maryland. He's part of the Maryland General Assembly, and he's in Maryland's 45th legislative district covering parts of East and Northeast Baltimore. He won a seat in the state Senate back in 2018. And since then, the Daily Record and Maryland Matters, two publications there, have both named Corey a lawmaker to watch. He was born and raised in Baltimore, credits his mom for changing his trajectory in life when she noticed him go down the wrong path as a teenager. Boy, there's a lot of people in that in that category. Well, anyway, she enrolled him in an apprenticeship program at the age of 18. And soon after, Corey became a member of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. Get this, by the age of 20, Corey purchased his first home and would go on to buy several rental properties while earning his bachelor's degree. Corey began his political career back in 2014 when he was elected to the Maryland House of Delegates representing the 45th district and a number of uh, news outlets called him one of the most effective freshman lawmakers in the entire state. His approach to public service, pretty simple, listening to the problems of constituents and finding a solution. You got to find the solution. He passed what's called the action and power apprenticeship act. When they asked for better jobs, the legislation expanded funding for apprenticeships that lead to family-supporting careers. And he continues today working for his local union and as a community organizer. So we'll talk about his road from IBEW electrician to what he's doing now, that journey, and how others can do the same thing. I say this on the show so many times. If you're involved in your union You want to make a change, get involved in politics, and the AFL-CIO has a toolkit that you can follow. And we'll talk to Corey about this on how uh, how he successfully made that journey. The importance of union men and women to run for office, because once you get inside, that's when you can change things. So uh, Corey McRae will be our first guest. Then we're going to go to Greg Christie. Greg is a president of the Great Lakes District Council of Ironworkers, which just signed on as one of the sponsors here on America's Workforce. Website, real simple, IWDistrictCouncil.com. A little background on Greg. He started 
in the apprenticeship program a little over 30 years ago, 1992, became a journeyman iron worker from 94 to 2005, had various positions within uh, Local 3 as business agent, trustee, recording secretary, and from uh, 2018, so five years ago, he became president of the Great Lakes District Council of Iron Workers. So we'll talk about the amount of work in the district. This district covers Ohio, Michigan, West Virginia, and Virginia. And there's a lot of work going on in those respective states. I might be wrong on that. I think Pennsylvania is part of that as well. Uh, we'll talk about becoming an iron worker, involving yourself in the apprenticeship program, recruiting and retaining people in the trade and uh, what the future looks like. Greg Christie will be our second guest right here on America's Workforce. And now a brief look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by the good folks of Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. A victory for democracy in the state of Ohio. Ohio voters have soundly rejected issue one, which would have effectively eliminated the citizen initiative ballot measure in the state of Ohio. Right now, it's 50% plus one. If you want to amend the Constitution, this would have taken it to 60%, which is very, very difficult. Got a comment today from Hannah Halbert. Hannah is the executive director of Policy Matters Ohio. Policy Matters Ohio is a think tank group with ties to organized labor, and we've had them on the show many, many times. In fact, a couple of days ago, Hannah said Ohio voters showed up to defeat issue one, reaffirming the people's right to check legislative power and advance policies that make Ohio better for all of us, not just a wealthy few. She said Ohio voters have used this power to defeat extremist anti-worker legislation, protect worker compensation programs, raise the state minimum wage, and index it to inflation. By rejecting issue one, and they did it by an overwhelming margin at last report, Close to 58% rejected issue one. Ohioans have preserved the principle of majority rule for November's general election. Issue one, says Hannah, was a blatant power grab. Proponents attempted to change the rules of the Constitution because they know their policy interests run counter to those of a majority of Ohioans. Entrenched politicians and insiders are on the wrong side of the issues, from reproductive rights to fair districts. Policy Matters' own modeling showed the same divide across issues like fair taxation, care response, and participatory budgeting. Faced with disinformation by Issue 1 proponents, grassroots activists held community discussions, knocked doors, knocked on doors and wrote postcards to ensure that Ohioans had accurate information about the issue and about voting. Policy Matters Ohio is grateful to everyone who stood up for democracy. That's Hannah Halbert, who is the executive director of Policy Matters Ohio. You can find more at policymattersohio.org. Got a text from uh, Tim Berga today. Tim's been on the show a number of times. In fact, we're going to try to squeeze him in tomorrow or Friday Tim is president of the Ohio AFL-CIO, one of the many, many labor federations that uh, was urging people to vote no on issue one. And this is an issue that attracted not just national attention, but international attention. Because, again, 
It was a blatant power grab. A meeting between representatives from the Writers Guild of America, the WGA, and the Alliance of Motion Picture and TV Producers did not go well on Friday, according to sources at the Los Angeles Times. There's no sign that the two sides have agreed to a timeline for the talks. Major points of disagreement between the writers and the production companies remain. Minimum employment levels for writers, writers' entitlements to streaming residuals, Overall, writers pay and the use of artificial intelligence. The production companies are facing the prospect of doing business despite ongoing dual strikes by both the WGA and the Actors Union, SAG-AFTRA, Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of TV Radio Artists. By the way, this is not the only labor dispute affecting Los Angeles this summer, a wave of Unite Here Local 11 hotel worker strikes began in Southern California in July. And some California state officials recently urged Taylor Swift to cancel her upcoming tour appearance in Los Angeles in solidarity. Boy, that would be something. Also, uh, city workers in Los Angeles decided to uh, strike this week in response to the city's alleged refusal to bargain in good faith over a new contract. A lot of labor unrest around the country and especially in uh, Southern California. Meanwhile, the Alphabet Workers Union, which is affiliated with the communication workers, the union that represents Google help workers, have filed an unfair labor practice charge against Alphabet Inc. This is an interesting story. The workers were employed by a third-party vendor, and that would be Accenture PLC. But their work was focused on supporting Google. And the workers said they spent most of their time working closely with Google employees. Now, for that reason, the union alleges Google was the workers' joint employer. And the labor board found in July that Google was the joint employer of a group of workers doing similar work. Now, according to the union, Alphabet illegally retaliated against employees as they were trying to unionize. In June, Accenture workers announced a unionizing campaign then in July, which happened in July. Now, Accenture has just announced it was cutting its Google help workforce from roughly 130 down to 40. That's pretty drastic. The union has alleged that the layoffs are in retaliation for the unionizing effort. Yeah, I would say so. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with a Maryland lawmaker who started out as an electrician, a union electrician. We'll talk about his journey coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A 
nursesforhire.org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at afge.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers. Standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org, one of the many unions celebrating the victory, the overwhelming victory against uh, Issue 1, the voters in the state of Ohio voting uh, almost 58% to shoot that proposal down, which, uh, which would have changed things dramatically in the state of Ohio. Let's go to the state of Maryland right now. And join Corey McCray. Corey is a Maryland state senator, and uh, he's here to talk about his journey. He started out at IBEW Local 24 in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, about 20 years ago in the apprenticeship program. And he did that for very good reason, because his mom said, hey, you better get your head on straight. We need we need to get you on the right path here. And boy, I, I know he's really happy about that. and He's going to share that experience with our listeners today. Corey McRae, thanks for joining us today, brother. How are we doing over there in Baltimore? Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Baltimore is uh, moving in the right direction. Moving in the right good. direction. Good, good. And I know you have a lot to say about that and a lot to do about that. So talk to me about your time in your life, and because I was reading earlier about how your mom said, you know what, you're going down the wrong path, son. Uh, you need you need to uh, maybe get involved in an apprenticeship program. Is is may, I'm sure there's more to that story. Go ahead, brother. Yep, man. You know, just as a lot of young folks in urban jurisdictions, similar to Baltimore City, uh, making some bad choices. I ended up. I did graduate from high school, but at high in high school, I was at a crossroads and not sure what I was going to do with my life. And my mom, I had a mother that never gave up on her son. She ended up reaching out to the Maryland Department of Labor and saying, send me every apprenticeship program in the state of Maryland. And I tell folks, by the grace of God, I was uh, accepted into the IBEW Local 24's 
um, apprenticeship. And what that did was it gave me the ability to see uh, opportunities that I wasn't familiar with outside of my neighborhood. It gave me the opportunity to be able to interact with folks um, that I wasn't used to interacting, be able to learn a trade um, so nobody's coming in my home and doing electrical work, uh, but also the disciplines and the basic skills that's necessary to be able to have life skills. So that would be IBW Local 24. Can I ask you why? I mean, there's a lot of trades out there, and I know I know there's a great career with the IBW, but specifically any reason why you went down that path? I think that when you look at the electricians, and I wasn't familiar, I think that that's one of the benefits of apprenticeship programs is that you don't need to know anything about electrical work. So I didn't know what black, white, green was. I didn't know a number of things. You need to come in with a good attitude, a will to work, and an ability to learn. And that was what they were opening their doors for. Um, If I could be honest, it was the wage. Uh, So at that time, I knew how to make money. I needed to figure out how to do it legally. And um, they had started off at $12 an hour. They had then matriculated up to $3 a year. So every year you were in an apprenticeship until you topped that out at about $3 an hour. Keep in mind, this is 20 years ago, and this is a lot of money. My mom had worked for the state of Maryland. So the most from an income threshold that the folks in my family have made was about thirty-five, forty thousand dollars a year. So I actually thought they were hustling me. I thought that this was too good to be true. I thought that there was some type of gimmick. Um, I thought that maybe I get put out in the third year once you hit eighteen dollars an hour. But the reality is is that there are a group of employers and there are employers in this country that value having a trained workforce And when you have a trained workforce, there are benefits. You don't have high turnover. You have uh, folks that come in every day. You have incentive to be able to do those types of things. And they also believe in the fundamentals that people should make a good wage. People should have health care, affordable health care. And hopefully when that time comes, being able to retire with dignity. So I think that, you know, in the beginning, uh, I just wasn't familiar with what a labor union was. Um, I wasn't familiar with the structure. I didn't know the shoulders that we stood on. Uh, from that standpoint, but the money was great incentive uh, to be able to do it. And then I look at a lot of folks, and I'll start right here because I feel like I'm doing a lot of talking, but a lot of folks, when they graduate from high school, they, you know, go to one of our phenomenal universities in the state of Maryland or one of our incredible community colleges. But those are vehicles that you have to pay for. The other incentive was they were actually paying me to go to school. So I went to day school one day every two weeks where they would give a stipend that day that you took off of work to be able to supplement the pay that you missed. You know, what's pretty awesome about this, you talked about the wages and the benefits, and here you are, 18 years of age, just out of high school. Two years later, you're buying a home. <laughs> Corey McRae, that had to be a pretty interesting time. Oh, my God. And, and, and I'm sure a couple of people that you went to high school with are scratching their head. How the heck did you do that? Did, did, did that happen back then? You know what? The, uh, I, I keep saying it like I was around folks that uh, while they were electricians, they also had side things that they were doing. Some of them had corner stores. Some of them had uh, rental properties. Some of them had liquor stores. Uh, it was a variation of things. And one of the things that I said to myself, that they're no smarter than I am. They put their pants on the same way that I do. So how can I mimic the behavior that they were doing, especially if it was uh, beneficial and would be fruitful for my family? And, I, you know, in Baltimore City, the housing stock was somewhat inexpensive. I can remember purchasing my first home for $65,000, having a driveway, three bedrooms, a garage, central air. 
and things of that nature. And every year, uh, I can remember some of the apprentices, I don't want to say they were making bad choices, but they were getting car payments. And I would drive my $1,000 car, save up my money every year, and I would buy a house. Um, and, you know, I, like I said, I mimic that behavior, but I look up, I'm 25, graduating the apprenticeship, and I had seven homes, six in a multi, multi-unit. <laughs> That's a great story. And you also got a bachelor's degree. What's your bachelor's degree in? So so one of the things, I was really good at business. Um, from, from that standpoint, my mom always said that I knew how to squeeze two nickels. Uh, but I ended up, uh, after the apprenticeship, I did three years at my community college, Baltimore City Community College. And then I went and got my four-year degree at the National Labor College um, that was in Montgomery County, uh, Maryland, and I got it in business. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Now, let's talk about moving up the ranks at Local 24 of IBEW. I see you served on the executive board. Um, That journey, can you talk to me about that journey and from there to where you are now? Can you you walk us through that time? No, uh, I'll do it very quickly. So when I was going through the apprenticeship, we had a phenomenal uh, training director by the name of Dave Norfolk. I tell folks that I didn't immediately get accepted into the apprenticeship. He was the one that I harassed to say, hey, are you going to let me into your um, apprenticeship? So I called profusely. Um, I eventually got accepted the day that orientation um, started, uh, built a good relationship with him. And uh, Dave had asked me to be a nighttime instructor. But also within there, the uh, officers with Local 24 are always looking for right talent um, or who's the next up um, to kind of uh, lead the local and and that next generation of folks. So we had a business manager by the name of Gary Griffin. I tell you, I never saw myself. I always saw myself as a business owner. I told you um, what I was doing by the time I topped out. He brought me into the uh, administration, and this was somewhat controversial and contentious. Uh, remembering that my local was led by white males, um, most of them over the age of 50. So to bring in someone at the age of 25, young black male, um, that was different. That was very unique. That was, And this is in 2008. So while it may be something that's open now, in 2008, it was very unique situation. And I went in there and I worked my little heart out, similar to how I did when I was on a construction site, similar to how I did when I was working with the houses. And I did organizing um, uh, from that standpoint. And I think that I did such a good job. My international ended up picking me up. The IBW, the international, ended up picking me up uh, in 2011. Um, And for three years, I worked uh, on organizing campaigns in Maryland, D.C., Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, and Kentucky. So I went up the 70 corridor, the 95 corridor, um, 68 corridor and was doing uh, a campaign. So I was the person that would help come in, help to get them to understand how to organize and things of that nature. Eventually, because Baltimore gave so much to me, and, and whether that was in a good and a bad way, I learned a lot of lessons. The question was that I was very successful, and I realized that the true measure of success is not seeing Corey McCray win. How many people can you get across the finish line with you? That's what the Brotherhood had taught me. Um, and I wanted to give that back to the same communities that I grew up in. I ended up running for the House of Delegates. I didn't run on anybody's ticket. And I tell folks, running a union organizing campaign is uh, a lot harder than getting your friends, your family, your neighbors to vote in a local election uh, from that standpoint. So I felt like I had a lot of exercise and a lot of training in order to step up to this journey because of what the IBW had taught me and the skills that they had taught me over the 
several years. Um, we went into the Maryland House of Delegates. We won in, in the state of Maryland. It's the top three. So I didn't come in first place. I didn't come in second place. But that doesn't matter because I came in third place and it's the top three that win for the Maryland House of Delegates. Um, we did voting rights. So we restored voting rights to over 40,000 people that were disenfranchised from the process throughout the state of Maryland that were all parole and probation. Once again, while it's uh, uh, cool now, it wasn't cool back in 2015, 2016 when we were going through it, but I'm glad that the state of Maryland was in the, uh, in the lead uh, on that effort, and we helped lead that effort. Increasing apprenticeship opportunities. I told you that I had a mother that didn't give up on her son. But how can we leverage state resources to make sure that any dollar, it's a $60 billion budget for the state of Maryland, but any dollar that's built for our hospitals, our universities, our, uh, anything that's doing any type of social good in our communities, how can we leverage that to make sure that folks are on going through apprenticeship programs? So we did legislation uh, uh, for that. We had several new school, build school buildings uh, built within the um, district. And I'll be honest with you, I did four years in the um, House, and I ended up running one of the toughest campaigns that I've ever done in my life. I ran against the Senate president pro temp. For those folks that may not know, that's the second highest senator in the state of Maryland. Um, and that was not an easy journey. But I realized that life is about making the most of it. Life is about making the best of it. And life is about service. And the best service that could be contributed would be in the, in the Maryland State Senate we ended up winning that campaign, and currently um, I'm serving my second term. But in the state of Maryland, we raised the minimum wage to matriculate to $15 an hour. I led on that effort in my first year. We have uh, did a bill, the Maryland Transportation Safety Investment Act, injecting $6 billion uh, into our um, trans public transportation system. I led on that effort. Um, and, and I could go on and on and on, but let me be clear, I'm having fun in the Senate. I serve on my uh, executive board for my local union also because I think even though uh, we have this position, there comes great responsibility, and you cannot forget where you came from. So I feel as though serving in the Maryland State Senate gives me the prime opportunity to give back to my community, but also serving on my executive board gives me the opportunity to give back to the local union that gave so much to me. Just an amazing story. Corey McRae joining us on our live line today. Corey, state senator in Maryland. ElectCoreyMcRae.com. We'll continue talking with him later in the show. We're going to check in with Greg Christie on behalf of the Ironworkers. Greg is president of the Great Lakes District Council of Ironworkers. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A.org. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. 
Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Iron Workers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 iron workers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union iron workers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our iron workers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of of professional and technical engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBalladSystems.com to learn more. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up. Receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go back to our live line. Rejoin Corey McRae. Corey is a senator in Maryland's 45th Legislative District. At the age of 18, he started out as an apprentice at IBEW Local 24 in Maryland, decided to move up the union ladder, got involved in politics, and here he is today making change. And I tell you, Corey, I love this story because I talked so much on this show about the importance of union brothers and sisters getting involved in politics because that's where you can truly make a difference. And uh, your story is compelling. I was reading earlier that you passed the Action and Power Apprenticeship Act. Can you give us some details on what that's all about? Yep, like the Power Act was uh, providing our workers education and readiness, and the um, uh, uh, action um, was like a grant program to be able to have any employer had a $1,000 incentive to be able to hire apprentices from that standpoint. The reality is is that my the reason why there is a Corey McRae, a Senator Corey McRae, um, at this moment was because of the phenomenal opportunities that this apprenticeship provided me. And the question is, is how can we make sure that more young men, young women across the city of Baltimore, the state of Maryland, in our country, how do they are able to benefit from that standpoint? I took a look at a lot of the dollars, the capital dollars that we're putting out as a state of Maryland and said we're not leveraging as, as much. While we're doing great things in our uh neighborhoods because we're building new buildings we're building phenomenal buildings what about the people that's working on the buildings do we do they have health care are they going through the apprenticeship program are we being mindful of the wage that they're uh going through when uh sometimes our jurisdictions are trying to circumvent uh prevailing wage laws or or, or fair labor standards and things of that nature and trying to get the cheap costs this lowered that threshold uh, to be able to say, like, any time a project is 500000 or more, no matter what the percentage is, 
uh, whether the state puts up 10% or 70%, that they have to make sure that these uh, standards, uh, uh, it meets these standards. So that's that's some of the things that I was able to work on. And the House of Delegates are super proud of the number of apprentices that keep going up and up and up in the state of Maryland because of those types of contributions. Well, we all want to increase union membership. And uh, boy, I tell you, we've had a lot of guests on the show. I've been doing this show for 25 years. In the last couple of years, it's really exploded. And much of that has to do with the fact of good policies coming out of Washington and various states. I'm sure your legislature has been very proactive on that. What do you uh, what's on the horizon here? Do you have any big projects here that you can uh, increase membership like at Local 24 and, and, and the other trades. What, what do we see ahead here? You know what? I, I think about it, and the reality is, is that policy does uh, uh, do a great amount. And I think that that's actually what changes the trajectory in our neighborhoods. So our job is to make sure as we evolve with technology, uh, we see electric vehicles, we see electric charging stations, we see this AI, we see so much that's going on. We have to be mindful and understand how does this impact workers? How does this impact the state of Maryland? How do we get the best bang for our buck? We know that when there is high union density, that we all win when we all win. Uh, uh, from that standpoint, so like as a legislator, I would just enc- encourage all of the members, anybody that's whether you're in a public, private sector union, uh, whether you're with the trades or you're with the UFCW with the grocery stores, like we have to be engaged in policy. There are folks that are making decisions on behalf of all of us. Keep in mind, there are 188 people in the Merlin General Assembly. That's in the House of Delegates and the State Senate combined, making decisions on behalf of 6 million people for the state of Maryland, 6 million-plus people for the state of Maryland. And if folks that don't understand, folks that didn't live it, aren't in the room making these decisions, then they say if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. You have to make sure that regular people are at that table we know that when we have diverse bodies, when I say diverse, that's I'm talking about from uh, ethnicity uh, diversification, age, gender, but also from a working standards. And the body that I'm in, majority of folks are lawyers. So folks have there. There's no electricians. I'm the only electrician, the only member of the building trades. We do have a teacher, a couple teachers. We do have uh, several nurses. But at the end of the day, we have to have. Uh, diversity, especially in job uh, classifications or just the job standards from that standpoint, because I, I, I believe, I truly believe that it helps us bring together a better product for the state of Maryland. And the AFL-CIO nationally has been very proactive on that, and there's toolkits available to, uh, to union members so they can, uh, you know, pretty much create the same path that, uh, that you did. Uh, and, and I have to ask you, uh, what kind of help did you get? I'm sure you got help from Local 24, from various labor groups to get you to where you are today. Can you speak to that? No, the, the labor unions were so active. Like, I would not be there um, if it was not for the AFL-CIO. I grew up under a great mentor by the name of Ernie Greco, who was our Central Labor Council president. Um, and he would call me my go- his godson. And he would introduce me from a relationship standpoint. Uh, many of the presidents of the local unions were very active with their resources, but also boots on the ground. Uh, from that piece of it, uh, from a male standpoint, so that they made sure that they were activating their membership and making sure that folks knew that this race was super important to labor and these were labor chosen candidates. 
uh, from that piece, but I can remember. Matter of fact, I think I made history. I was one of the first early endorsed candidates that was a non-incumbent, and everybody kept saying, who is this young man? Because he came out of nowhere because labor stepped up early in the beginning um, to help us get where we were at. Like I said, I didn't come in first or second place, but I believe that I came in third place because all of the pieces were put together and labor was such a large, played a large role in that. So, Corey, we we had a pretty large audience on this show. We're in the top 5% of all podcasts, not just in the country, but around the world. What would your message be? I'm sure there's somebody thinking right now, boy, I like what he did. I like this guy, Corey McRae. Um, what's your message to that individual, Corey? I think it's always going to be, if you, if not you, then who? Um, like, the question is, is, and I think it was Teddy Roosevelt to say that, like, you have to get in the arena. Like, I'm very privileged. I'm very blessed to have found the IBW apprenticeship program. There are a lot of young men and women that did not get that same luxury. And my job is to make sure that I break down every door, every barrier, to make sure that folks understand when we collectively bargain, when we look forward, like we're always going to get a better outcome from a wages standpoint, from a healthcare standpoint, from a, a, a dependable retirement standpoint. And we're going to change and shift the trajectory of our communities, especially in urban jurisdictions. This is so um, important. And, and like I said, like if I never did electrical work at this moment, just imagine the trade that I was able to learn because of uh, my local union. Imagine that nobody's coming in my house doing electric work and because that also brought about other um, things that I was able to benefit simply from the decision of being able to be accepted from the apprenticeship program. So I would remind those folks, once you get across that finish line, we all bear the responsibility to make sure that we can get as many people as possible. And you could do that while I'm in the Maryland State Senate, you could do that with your local board of elections. You can do that through your community association. You could be that by being active in your uh, local union, respectively. And, and just keeping in mind that these things did not just come out of the air. It came, out of the, it came about because people gave their blood, their sweat, their tears to be able to make sure that the future generations um, ahead of them were able to benefit and prosper, and we bear that same responsibility. Well, I'll tell you, you're getting high marks from a number of publications. Uh, some are saying you're the most effective lawmaker especially when you just started out as a freshman and you're one to watch one more question here before we button this up what's your goal here you're state senator you're the house of delegates you're state senator do we, do we see do we see a governor's mansion in your future here brother <laughs> i i, I want to uh, i'm going to go to that question and i'm gonna walk back to another point so that folks truly understand i um I, I say first and foremost i'm a father and i'm a husband I'm, I'm a father to four beautiful children i got a uh kennedy reagan cj and bryson 16 14 9 and 8 and i got to make sure that you know i put them in a position that anything that they see that's in front of them that they can achieve but i also wanted to let folks know that i was not political so i didn't really understand the importance of politics until my late 20s so my attitude towards politics was they leave me alone i leave them alone and i spoke radically voted because every once in a while my labor union would ask me. So if they asked me to participate in an election, you'll find that I, uh, I may have participated. But like my first time in the General Assembly in the Maryland House of Delegates was my first time in the Maryland General Assembly from that standpoint. So you don't need no special education. This was built so that regular people can have the opportunity to serve their communities. You just need to have common sense, 
a good work ethic and a passion and a love for people, and you have the tools and the toolbox to be able to go and do what you see other people do. It's very intimidating because we think that elected officials are these great, important people, and they've worked their whole life to be that. But let me be clear, there are regular folks that are doing this, and I believe that they're best suited to do this because they have a close proximity and a granular level at the bottom to be able to see it a lot more clear than folks that may not adore the same. There are regular folks in politics. We just need more of them. We need more Corey McRae's out there. Corey, thank you so much for joining us today. Corey McRae on our live line. He is a state senator in Maryland, comes from IBEW Local 24. 20 years ago, he joined as an apprentice at the age of 18 and now a state senator. Definitely one to watch. ElectCoreyMcRae.com. You can also check him out on Facebook and follow him on Twitter. That would be Corey McRae, real simple. Corey, thank you so much for joining us. Please stay in touch uh, with uh, with us down the road. Can we do that, brother? Definitely. I, I, I look forward to many more opportunities. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Greg Christie is president of the Great Lakes District Council of Ironworkers, and he'll be coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Layuna. Find out what it takes for Layuna to keep America running at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without iron workers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained iron workers and 20,000 apprentices, the Iron Workers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Iron workers, the sky's the limit. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or X. 
That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this uh, next segment, got to give a shout out here to the North Coast Labor Federation, one of the many groups celebrating voting no on issue one. Overwhelming margin yesterday in the state of Ohio, over 57 percent. Let's go to uh, line number two. Welcome a newcomer to the show and also our latest sponsor. That would be the Great Lakes District Council of Ironworkers, IWDistrictCouncil.com. And joining us is the president of the Great Lakes District Council, and that would be Greg Christie. Greg uh, started with Local 3 as an ironworker going back to uh, 1992, and he served as president of the Great Lakes District Council for the past five years. Greg Christie, uh, welcome to America's Workforce. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for the sponsorship. And why don't you explain now the the territory? Obviously, we're talking about the Great Lakes. So maybe you can just run down the territory. I understand there's eight worker locals. Maybe you could run them down and give us the territory that you serve in. Go ahead. Sure, Flash. First off, uh, thank you for having me on and uh, looking forward to uh, to our sponsorship and how we can help uh, the people across the country with the union and uh, work. And so the Great Lakes District Council consists of eight local unions, eight ironworker local unions. We cover the lower peninsula of Michigan, northern Ohio, western Pennsylvania, and northern West Virginia. Okay. Okay, and of course you know that we still record the show at Local 17, headed by business manager Rich Jordan, who helped uh, secure the sponsorship. A great group here. I've been doing the show since the pandemic. In fact, we had Sean McGarvey on a couple of weeks ago, and I said, you know, we started this during the pandemic. Okay, the pandemic's over, but I still like it here. <laughs> so I'm still, I'm still, I'm learning a lot about the trade. I really am. It's great. Great uh, bunch of bunch of guys here and women. I might add that as well. So talk to me about the work in the, in the district council, the region. I'm hearing really good stories. I'm seeing what lots going the, happening in Northeastern Ohio. Can you speak to the whole region here, Greg? I, I sure can, Ed. First off, uh, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Rich there at local 17 uh they he does a great job there with that local union and uh with the work coming up in our district council just our district council in ohio we have there are six projects over one billion dollars in michigan we have five projects over one billion dollars and in pennsylvania In West Virginia, we have one project each worth over a billion dollars. And the locals in Ohio, which include uh, Cleveland, Toledo, Canton, and Youngstown, will play a large role in the amount of work that's going on in the state of Ohio right now. Can you be specific? What kind of work are we talking about right now, Greg? So work... I'll just stick with Ohio right now, Ed. So the the projects consist of, uh, I'm sure everybody is aware of the chip plant that is taking place, just getting started in Columbus. We have a battery, GM battery plant that is still ongoing in Lordstown, Ohio. We have the uh, Ford electric vehicle uh, plant, which is going uh, Sheffield, Avon Lake area. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> Just outside of Columbus, we have the Honda battery plant, 
And all the work is basically being um, in reference to uh, chips, uh, electric vehicles, and energy. Uh, I I forgot to mention the Trumbull Energy Project, which is in uh, uh, Warren, Ohio. It's it's not started yet. They're getting ready to go there. So it, it sounds like a lot of federal money, uh, policies from the current administration that have obviously filtered down into the local communities. And let, me, let me ask you this. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, <laughs> billion-dollar projects in various states. Uh, how, how long are we talking about as far as the work? And maybe you could speak to growing the membership and, and the apprenticeship programs because I, everybody I talk to say there's, there's years ahead, years ahead. Can you uh, – be specific on that, Greg. I can. And, um, when they're, they're talking years ahead, yes, um, 10 years, five years, 10 years down the road, we have the work here uh, that we will need a, a diverse and work uh, union membership, uh, the workers. And as far as the apprenticeships go, <clears throat> You can access each local in the council by going to iwdistrictcouncil.com, and you can access each local's website and their apprenticeship website. The apprenticeship consists of either a three- to four-year program in their respective locals, and uh, we are actively recruiting daily, uh, getting guys out to work and women out to work uh, it's a very uh, robust uh, market right now, and will continue to be to, to be so. One thing about the iron workers, they took the lead when it comes to uh, getting more female participation. And uh, this was years back when they did uh, twelve weeks of paid maternity leave, and I know that's a big issue. And, and obviously, when you're reaching out to uh, females, underserved communities, there are certain things that you yeah, got to go. You got to go the extra mile in order to attract them into what we call the pathway to the middle class. How are, how are we doing in that regard with the iron workers? Maybe obviously Great Lakes District Council. That's what you can speak on. Can you explain that part? Sure. Uh, let me first say about the, uh, the maternity leave. That was a big issue that we uh, resolved and uh, currently use another initiative, uh, not just the iron workers, but through the building trades as a whole, they are looking to have uh, daycare on these bigger projects to be able to accommodate, um, you know, uh, the families with children and, uh, the iron workers are actively participating in that as well. Sounds good. Let's talk about uh, recruiting and maybe getting involved in some of the schools. And I know the schools, they keep going toward college. And and I get that because a lot of the schools are graded on uh, making sure how many people they send to, whether it's Ohio State or University of Cincinnati or Michigan or whatever the case may be. But um, how are we doing in that regard when it comes to recruiting and also retaining there's a lot of people that get involved in the apprenticeship programs, maybe, and the work may not be to their liking, or again, issues like childcare come up. How are we doing in that regard, Greg? Well, it is a, I'll be honest, it's a struggle in each of the locals to recruit apprentices. Um, and not everybody 
it wants to go to college, and this is a, a heck of an opportunity for a young man or woman to actually learn the trade while they're getting paid, and also, more importantly, while they're learning and working, they're also accruing the benefits for a pension, annuity, health care, to be able to provide uh, family-sustaining uh, wages and benefits for their families. One more question here. What about organizing here? Because um, we're seeing a lot of organizing. All unions are really stepping it up. We got, obviously, a labor-friendly administration. Just wondering how we're looking in that regard. Uh, we are actively organizing throughout the council. We have six full-time organizers who are seeking out uh, the the non-union workforce and letting them uh, give them a direct path into the iron workers local. Uh, should they want to improve their pay, improve their benefits, um, it's ongoing. And um, we are slowly gaining ground uh, in uh, bringing in the uh, unorganized workers. Okay, I stand corrected. There's one more question after this one, and that involves lobbying. Obviously, when you got eight locals and you have the Great Lakes District Council of Iron Workers, and you got some pretty union-friendly states here. We're we're talking Ohio, Pennsylvania, <laughs> Michigan, and a part of uh, West Virginia. There, um, how are we? How are we engaged politically? And we, I just got off the phone with a state senator in uh, Maryland who started out in the uh, IBW apprenticeship program 20 years ago, and now he's a state senator. I'm just wondering, uh, political engagement, is that part of the uh, the game plan here for the Great Lakes District Council? That is absolutely a part of the game plan, that we actively use uh, lobbyists in the state of Ohio, in the state of Pennsylvania, Michigan, and West Virginia. Uh, each local has their own political coordinator who devotes all his time to uh, the local politics plus state politics. Uh, we leave the federal national politics to the international. They do a very good job of that, but we play an active role in the local and state politics of each local union. And that's where you make the real change. No doubt about that. Well, Greg Christie, thanks for joining us today. Again, thank you for the sponsorship here at America's Workforce. Great Lakes District Council of Iron Workers. You can find more at IWDistrictCouncil.com. Let me repeat that, IWDistrictCouncil.com. Lots of information there on all the uh, locals, eight of them all together. Greg, thank you so much. Keep in touch with us, okay, brother? Thank you for having me on today, Ed. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow I'm going to check in with the communication workers in Virginia and the latest from the UAW. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.